How's it going, everybody? Welcome to Found Flicks. On this inning explain, we're looking at Cobweb, where horror strikes when a young boy, Peter, tries to investigate strange knocking noises coming from inside the walls of his house and a dark secret that his sinister parents kept hidden from him. This story leads us down one direction before completely changing things with a massive left field twist that is more than a little bit bonkers. And the ending ending gives us another confusing, abrupt conclusion with more questions than answers. So we'll be explaining everything that happens, including the big twist and the ending. This is one that I was excited about for a variety of reasons. Probably first and foremost are Lizzie Kaplan and Tony Starr playing the deranged parents. They both excel in such slightly unhinged roles, and thusly I was excited to see them do their thing here. Then we have this also being the feature film debut of Samuel Bodine, behind the short-lived but excellent series Marianne. Even the script was given much hype, appearing on The Blacklist, a list of the best unproduced screenplays of the year, and The Blood list the same thing but for horror scripts. They got it all, right? What could possibly go wrong? Well, surprisingly enough, the major culprit here is the script itself. Also worth mentioning the dude's only produced screenplay before this is last year's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, that was terrible. Outside of that bus massacre scene, of course. As for Cobweb, it mostly plods along towards a somewhat interesting but ultimately rehashed feeling premise. Are Peter's parents really bad or what is really going on here? The more the secrets spill out, the more likely it is that they are up to no good. Huh? Homelander and the lady who played young Annie Wilkes? Who could have seen it coming, right? They're completely nuts. However, that's all just a huge misdirect, as late in the runtime, that whole idea is thrown right out of the window in favor of something much more ridiculous and over the top. Look, I got no problem with going bananas, but it really bugs me when the twist doesn't work with the story up to that point. I also get that a lot of people don't actually care about that, and that brought to mind Barbarian, but also so malignant. You know, you kind of just have to go with it and don't ask any questions kind of thing. So if those aforementioned are your cup of tea, then this hodgepodge of madness will be mighty appealing. It's really not bad, but the twist and the ending kind of undo the whole thing for me at least. So let's check out Cobweb, breaking down the story, the big twist, as well as explaining the ending and what it means. We are quickly thrust into the admittedly quite insulated world of eight-year-old Peter and his parents, Mark and Carol, one week prior to Halloween. His parents are way overprotective, and this perhaps is why Peter is so closed off and unable to make friends at school. His parents do seem normal enough initially, yet there is definitely an odd feeling in the air about them, as though something is just off about the whole setup here. Sure, they are overbearing, but they also don't really seem to invest much time in the kid. Plus, the house is just straight up strange. At first, I was like, is this in the 70s or something? They got no TVs in any rooms or cell phones or anything. Only later do we see someone with a modern phone, and that honestly makes it even more bizarre. At least get the kid a switch or something, you know, instead of making him just chill in his weird hot air balloon wallpaper room all day and night. No wonder he's depressed. Going to school isn't much help either, and Peter is seen quiet and lonely, not interacting with the other kids. Well, except for one douche bully Brian who picks on the sullen lad on the regular. As in bullying is his only real social interaction. Good times. Brian reminds him that recess is coming soon, indicating it's time for another beatdown. Peter elects to stay behind and get some sympathy from the kind-hearted new substitute teacher, Mr. Divine. His little world is blown wide open one night. While fast asleep, there are noises heard coming from within the walls. He tries to brush 
it off, but the sounds continue, sounding distinctly like knocking. He gives it a try, rapping upon the wall, and shockingly gets a reply from within. He runs to wake his parents, but Carol assures him that it's just his big old imagination playing tricks on him. I don't hear anything. Do you? See, it's all in your head, you crazy. To his dismay, the sounds return the next night, and now he even hears a voice asking for help. This time, his dear old dad steps in to check things out and sternly tells him to quit horsing around with this ridiculous noise in the wall stuff. It really doesn't seem to be in his head, as the voice keeps coming back, and they advance to having full-fledged conversations, learning that her name is Sarah. When it comes to how she wound up trapped here, it was none other than his parents responsible, declaring that they are evil people. The bizarre new secret friendship takes over Peter's life, spilling over into school. Miss Devine discovers a drawing of his, all black, with a voice screaming for help, along with a frightened Peter in bed. Concerned over possible domestic violence, Miss Devine visits the boy's home and meets Carol. She shows off the drawing and inquires about how the boy is doing. Carol is cagey, yet insists that he's fine, but Miss Devine isn't quite convinced. Carol confronts her son about the drawing, scolding him for bringing his supposed nonsense into the eye of public scrutiny. In particular, she takes issue with depicting someone asking for help. There's no one in danger here, right? Peter is starting to doubt that, and Sarah continues feeding him more damning evidence about his dodgy parents. They did mention earlier about a girl who went mysteriously missing on Halloween several years ago, and it's due to this that they will not allow Peter to go trick-or-treating. There is more to the story, it turns out, as according to Sarah, they actually killed the girl and have her buried in the pumpkin patch out back. It might sound outlandish, but Peter has to see for himself. Indeed, after a few minutes of digging, he unearths a human skull nearly getting caught by his mother. His home life grows more difficult, and school provides him with no solace either. Brian escalates their feud by destroying his prize-winning pumpkin Herman, shattering it to the playground floor. Since his parents are of no help whatsoever, he relays to his new pal in the wall about what happened. And she has some strong advice of what to do. In life, you have to stand up for yourself. Don't let that Brian nerd push you around. At school the next day, Brian's mother forces him to bring an apology pumpkin to make up for trashing the earlier one. But Peter won't allow this to go on any longer. With Sarah's words echoing in his head, Peter purposefully struts up to Brian with his pals and promptly pushes him right down the stairs. And the kid ends up breaking his leg. Might have taken things a bit too far there, Peter. He could have actually killed Brian after all. Yes. He gets expelled from school, and his parents are none too pleased, revealing an even deeper layer to their darkness than before. His dad scowls that they don't solve problems with violence in this family, and he moves the fridge, revealing a door behind it boasting a heavy lock. They toss him down into the basement and lock the door, certain that this is for his own good. Better straighten up and learn your lesson. Also down in the cellar, there are several pillows and blankets, implying that he is not their first captive. Perhaps even more alarming is another even deeper pit covered with a grate leading to another chamber even deeper below. None of what's going on at this point really helps paint the parents in an innocent light, obviously. I mean, you don't build that shit unless there's a good, well, you know, bad reason. Learning he was kicked out of school, Miss Devine is even more worried about the boy and pays another visit under the ruse of bringing him his last math test, covertly also including her personal number. This time, Mark is home as well and invites her inside with an eerie smile. Little peek of Homelander there. Things are instantly quite tense based on what we have heard about the parents, as well as Mark white-knuckling a hammer the entire time. After a terse conversation regarding Peter, Miss Devine notices a nasty gash on Mark's arm. He dismisses it as being from doing some remodeling, but it is long and deep, as though he was fighting someone. She thinks this is a great time to peace out and collects herself to the car. Moments later, Mark appears, scaring the bejesus out of her, but he still maintains the nice, but also slightly sinister image with her. Like, I don't want to have to hurt you, but I will if I have to, so don't show your face around here no more, lady. <laughs> Turn it, what was that, Jersey or something? Now word for
from this week's sponsor, Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. With summer upon us, you don't want to be spending all your time cooking, but you still want to have fresh and nutritious meals, and that's where Factor comes in. Their fresh, never-frozen meals are delivered straight to your door and are ready to eat in just two minutes. Everything you need is contained in the meal, meaning no need for trips to the grocery stores or prepping or anything like that. That way you can get back to enjoying your summer while also eating well in a flash. There's tons of variety to choose from, with 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. And that's right, they're all ready in two minutes. Depending on what you're looking for, they also have calorie-conscious meals, protein-plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving, as well as keto and vegan and vegetarian options. So this July, why not give Factor a try for yourself and enjoy the fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door. As a special offer for viewers, head to factormeals.com ending50 and use code ending50 to get 50% off. That's code ending50 at factormeals.com ending50 to get 50% off. After an indeterminate period, Peter has served his time and is let out of his cell. To celebrate, his mom bakes him some cupcakes, most of which are smiley-faced, but you also can't help but notice a few frownies in the bunch. Kind of weird. Also, I'm not sure I'd be too happy with the gesture if I was Peter. He knows at this point he's got to say what they want to hear and promises that he's done with all the tomfoolery for good. Yeah, your parents kidnapping you will definitely keep you in line. It's hardcore parenting right there. Despite what he told his parents, as soon as Peter is back in his room, he tries to reconnect with his pal in the wall. She wasn't killed, as he feared at least, but there is even more that she spills regarding the parents' sordid history. She reveals that she is in fact his older sister. When she was born, her parents didn't want her, and thus he caged her up out of sight for life. There's even more pressing matters, as according to her, they are running out of time. Soon the parents are gonna kill her, and Peter will take her place in the walls. Well, in that case, it's either him or his parents. What to do. The family all sit down to a nice silent dinner of some quite unpleasant looking sludgy soup. Slurping it down, Mark notices something different. Did she switch up the recipe or something? She takes some curious spoonfuls to figure out the mystery ingredient. Also noticing that Peter is suspiciously not eating his helping, Mark gives it a big old whiff and determines it to be cinnamon. Not exactly cinnamon though. Earlier they were dealing with pumpkin rot and there was some rat poison with a sweet sweet cinnamony smell. That's right, the boy has poisoned them good. Upon the real Realization, Marco's ballistic lunging at his son in unbridled anger. He's soon stopped in his tracks by the poison filling his system, liquefying his organs. He pukes out an excessive blood on the table until abruptly collapsing dead. Carol then unleashes her own deep-seated anger upon the lad, chasing him through the house with a knife. She soon hacks up her guts as well, but explodes in a final flurry up the stairs. Once she reaches the top, Peter shoves her back down, sending her tumbling down the staircase, snapping her neck along the way. You're like, well, she's dead. But to make extra sure, she is also accidentally stabbed herself in the gut. Whoopsies! Peter goes to her to retrieve the key ring, and Carol grumbles out a final warning. Don't let her out. He does so anyway, accessing another secret door behind a grandfather clock. And yep, it is a tiny door! If you watch the channel long enough, you know that's never a good sign. Nothing good on the other side of a tiny door ever. It really slowly creaks open, seeing only darkness within. Sarah finally emerges from the hole. Well, mostly her hair, which is really long. Guess she didn't get it cut in like 30 years or so something, looking like a scraggly-ass Rapunzel over here. We only get brief glimpses of her in the trailer, but so here's an idea of what it kind of looks like, you know, based on my own artistic interpretation. I might say she resembles something like a cross between Momo, but with the long face-covering hair of Sadako or Samara. Yeah, that's, uh, that's about right. Looks good. Her visage is bizarrely monstrous, with huge eyes and an overly large mouth with rows of giant razor-sharp teeth. Uh, yeah. At this point, I was like, uh, 
Hold on a minute, what the hell is going on here? Because that is just some kind of straight up monster, not some normal kid. Just getting started there, honestly. She then divulges to poor Peter what is really going on and how she manipulated him the entire time. As soon as she was born, Carol and Mark were so horrified by her appearance that they felt that all that they could do was lock her up to keep her out of the view of the world's eye. Daddy built me a prison to hold me, she recounts, and when that didn't work, he built me a pit. Doesn't seem like that works well either since she was wandering all around the crawl spaces and everything. She is understandably upset at her situation and wanted revenge against the parents who treated her like a monster. She was also a super jealous of Peter. He got to have a bed and do stuff and have a super cool life, unlike her living with the cobwebs and the spiders within the walls. So all this was really to get back at the family that wronged her for all these years. She's been waiting until he was old enough to strike. Now you might think that living in the walls all this time might have left Sarah feeble and malnourished, but you couldn't be more wrong, bucko! As she says, since she was on her own, it was up to her to teach herself all kinds of useful skills, like, you know, biting and crawling over the walls like a freaking spider. Yes, she apparently is a superpowered monster with spider-like abilities. She can scale walls, crawl on the ceilings. I mean, it's nuts. I'm not sure why exactly or how it makes any sense whatsoever. As I mentioned at the top of the video, this is another one of those throw in a late runtime batshit twist out of nowhere thing, but it doesn't always feel cohesive with what led up to this point. Obviously, the whole setup teases us the whole time to believe that the parents are the real bad guys and the rug pull is that they were sort of in the right, but then the whole crazy super killer monsters zipping around on the ceilings is just like, what? At first I thought it was maybe one of those setups. Oh, Peter killed his sister in some accident and suppressed the memory. It's all coming back out or something like that. That isn't a novel twist, but it would have jived with things up to that point. The monster angle is just bizarre. And again, reminded me of the barbarian villain. Some giant lady tearing people up. Just accept it. That's the state of screenwriting nowadays, apparently. For example, just say the couple didn't know what to do with their freak baby. So they did some kind of black magic ritual and now she's a demon or something shit. It's really not that hard to tie things together. The point is, it feels like they don't care. I don't know. I'm, I'm ranting about screenplays and horror movies, so that's my fault. What I guess I need to lower my own personal bar at this point in my life. Anyway, the Spider Menace is now on the loose after duping her poor bro, and with the worst possible timing, Brian and his cousins show up to the house in search of hockey stick fuel justice. Sarah takes them all out with surprising ease, scurrying around undetected, tearing dudes in half, decapitating another one. Again, it's ridiculous, and admittedly pretty bloody and entertaining. Amongst the mayhem, Miss Divine shows up thanks to a curious call from Peter, and shows up to save the day. Unluckily, just as they make it outside, Sarah snatches the boy by the hair and scurries him back to the dungeon. Miss Divine saves him once more, and they lock Sarah back up in her hole. Well, that's not gonna last very long. She flails her limbs through the grate, warning that he will never be rid of her. He's just like her, and in that way, he cannot escape his fate. Then there's another little moment with him back in his room, and she appears behind him, and things just end abruptly. Was that last chunk a dream or something, or what is going on there? I get that they trap her again, and that there are some lingering questions regarding what becomes of Peter now, but the extra chunk is just weird, I guess just to reiterate that point. Even him showing back up in the room, he's obviously not going to be living in that house anymore. I mean, come on. I mean, first of all, call the cops for frick's sake. There's a lot to clear up there with the bodies, freakazoid spider lady, and the dungeon that Mark single-handedly built by himself, apparently. Pretty handy with that hammer, I guess. It's just too much legit 
logistically to piece together in any meaningful way. It's a mess. Another crazy twist out of nowhere designed to throw the audience for a loop, but again, doesn't really work with what the story has been built up to that point in any way at all. Just accept the crazy monster lady and that's fine. That's fine. With that, we've reached the conclusion of this ending explained for Cobweb. But don't forget, before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you think of Cobweb and its ending? Do you think the twist was too much or just right? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.